What a fascinating yet challenging time to be a leader. And in this Leading by Nature series, I interview pioneering leaders from diverse organizations, exploring future fit leadership and organizational development. I'm Giles Hutchins, executive coach, senior advisor and author of many books, the latest being Leading by Nature, which explores the inner nature and outer nature of the organization and the inner and outer nature of the leader as they journey toward regenerative futures. Welcome to the Leading by Nature podcast with myself, Giles Hutchins, and my guest today, Bevis Watts, CEO of the Bristol-based ethical bank, Triados. Welcome, Bevis, and thank you very much for being here with me. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Hello, everyone. So let's dive straight in. Uh, first, by exploring a little bit about Triados, its reason for being as an organization, and also a bit about its market context, how it finds itself these days. Well, uh, uh, Triados has been around for over 40 years uh, now, and it was set up with the vision that if we want to live in a truly sustainable society, we need a financial system and banks that think about how they use money consciously to enable that. So uh, the bank only uses money to finance things that we deem to have a positive environmental, social or cultural impact. And if that's what you say you're going to do with people's money, then you have to be completely transparent. And so we publish every loan and investment that we make and we allow you as the customer of the bank to be the judge of whether we get that right. Uh, and so we're regarded nowadays as, as kind of pioneers of sustainable finance. Um, we operate in five European countries and globally through an investment management business. Um, we're a medium-sized bank with around three quarters of million customers across Europe and about 20 uh, billion nearly of assets under management. So investing essentially is a key part of the future, isn't it? What you're doing is you're investing in the emerging future. How do you ensure that your investments are actually helping? How do you work out what to invest in and what not to invest in? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I always say to people that money is a hugely powerful form of democracy. Um, you know, where you choose to spend, save and invest your money is, is kind of a vote for the future and the world you want to live in. So uh, in some cases, it's, it's uh, relatively straightforward because we've financed certain things like renewable energy and organic farming for a very long uh, period of time. And so we're working with certifications in some sectors like organic farming. But even then, we look more deeply than that and think, well, what's the beneficial ownership of this business? Who's really behind it? What's their motivations why are they doing it uh, uh and then in other sectors you know um we we finance um social housing we finance a lot of charities um but we also finance cultural projects because culture is a very important part about human beings connecting how do we explore alternative ideas together uh how do we find alternative ways of expressing ourselves in a non-confrontational way around issues and so on so um, so those are the kind of things we're always thinking about and how we lend money and, and trying to direct it in that way, really. That's a broad range. So let's pick an area. Is there a particular project you could share with us just to get a handle on how you make a change happen, say, uh, for sustainability? Well, I mean, if, if I pick recent ones, I mean, obviously, at the minute, everybody talks about carbon emissions and uh, net zero society and, and, and so on. And we look at sustainability much more broadly than that, as I've said. But uh, in that area, in the last uh, year and a bit, we financed the, the first 
um, major rollout of electric vehicle charging points to supermarket car parks. So some 400 supermarkets have been fitted with charging points financed uh, by us. We financed the UK's first all-electric intercity coach service between uh, Edinburgh and uh, Dundee, I want to say, but it might be Aberdeen, but it's, uh, I, I'll have to refresh my own memory or go and take the bus. But, um, uh, but those are the kind of things that, that might bring it to life. Um, equally, people will know things like Neil's Yard Remedies, Cafe Direct Coffee, very well-known household brands that are businesses we've been associated with um, for a long time. Well, you've mentioned uh, net zero because obviously there's a bit of a, a fashion about that these days and there's been a lot of hype, um, especially since COP26. But what does it actually mean again in practice? What's your approach to net zero? Are there a- any concrete examples of projects where you think you're directly helping the net zero ambition. Yeah, so at at COP26, we launched our own global net zero strategy, which is to be net zero by 2035. And some people think, well, you know, uh, we're a bank that's never financed fossil fuels and uh, or high emitting sectors, why can't you get there sooner? And the answer is because what net zero means for um, uh, for banks is uh, everything that you finance. So it's not just your own footprint as a business. It's uh, not just your energy supply. It's all of the loans that you make as well. So the only way we can get to net zero is is really insetting emissions in the portfolio. And what I mean by that is financing as much regenerative agriculture, sustainable forestry, nature-based solutions to to flood management and so on, things that sequester carbon that that balance out the things that emit. And even if you're financing organic agriculture and social housing and things, of course, these things all still emit. They might be absolutely fantastic things to do, but but they still have um, uh, net emissions uh, in the main. So, um, So that's what the challenge means for us. And really the target we announced should be a wake-up call to the financial sector because, as I say, for a bank that's never done the high-emitting stuff, we've spent years understanding our footprint and developing a methodology that lots of other institutions now adopt. Um, if, if we have that starting place and we think we can only get there by 2035 and we don't have all the answers yet about how to do it, then everybody that's kind of very in a laissez-faire where they're sort of talking about 2050 or 2045, I mean, they should really wake up and realise they, they don't really understand the scale of the transformation yet. Mm-hmm. This is a societal transformation. And I've heard you talking about it before as a sort of nature connection um, as, as a really key part of this societal transformation, which is, of mm-hmm. course, music to my ears and one of the reasons why I'm interviewing you today, because we share a very similar um, uh, understanding on these things. Um, could you give us a, a specific example of a nature-based sort of economy project that you're involved with? Yes. Yeah, so, I, I mean, this transition to net zero is absolutely, as you say, it's all about creating a nature a connected economy, as opposed to economy that's purely extractive and and sees itself as separate from the natural systems, which we're fundamentally dependent on and for our own survival. But uh, um, we have uh, worked on a number of national pilots with the Department of the Environment, uh, the Environment Agency and the Esme Fairburn Foundation. One of those uh, has now come to fruition and successfully raised uh, its money. But this is um, a a flood management project. So in a river catchment, you're decanalizing the river. So you're allowing it to meander again. You're allowing it to naturally flood fields with leaky dams. There's lots of uh, tree planting to stabilize soils and uh, and so on. So you're changing the, the, the use of the land in that area across about 20 landholders 
holdings. Um, uh, and what we've done there is look at, well, how can you really invest in that? So it's in the interests of the insurers who are preventing flood risk, the, um, uh, the environment agency and other flood agencies. Uh, it's in the interests of developers who want to build more houses in that area. Uh, and so you can get uh, payments from each of those contracted for a 10-year period. And when they're prepared to contract, you can then um, essentially create a, 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 a special purpose company that then distributes that funding to the landowners to pay them to make those interventions and maintain the land in a certain way. Um, and so that's a very simplistic explanation of a model uh, of many different models there will be to solve this, but one that we think is replicable and scalable and can really uh, put nature at the heart of delivering economic and social outcomes for us. Yeah, and you're creating a platform essentially that enables these diverse players to then start working together. So you're almost reconnecting as well as the nature connection, connecting us back to nature. You're actually connecting uh, humanity back in many ways so they can start co-creating again. Now, if we pivot that into the inner nature of Triodos now, um, the business has clearly been growing fast. It's in a, it's in a good sector. Uh, banking regulations have been increasing significantly. You've had challenges like Brexit, but also there's significant volatility in the marketplace anyway. What does this mean for you as an organization, as a culture, your inner nature? How have you had to adapt to this new world of working? Firstly, one of our challenges is we're quite a fast-growing business um, and have been for many years. And it's always been very important to me that we keep hold of the DNA of the bank. Uh, and we want people who really think deeply about purpose and consciously in the decisions they make about what impact they're having on society. So it's very important we, we invest in that. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it, uh, we, we do so through all sorts of programs and inviting people to really understand their own values and what they want to achieve through the bank uh, in order to affect positive change. But I mean, uh, you know, to your wider question, absolutely, all of those things get stretched uh, in, in the crises we faced. I mean, um, Brexit had big implications for us as a business because we had to create a new UK bank because uh, we previously traded as one legal entity across five European countries. Um, it affects a lot of our customers whose workforce may change as people are less able to come to the UK. Their supply chains may change, become more expensive because they're subject to tax as they weren't before. And so, um, you know, there's an awful lot of work for us to um, support our customers, let alone just try and keep the business, uh, you know, uh, true to what it should be. But, um, but it's very important that we keep that DNA alive and, yep. and have people focusing on their own personal, you know, reasons to be here and what they want to achieve. Because I often say people won't believe there's a different kind of bank unless they meet a different kind of banker. Yeah, well, I think that's dead spot on. And there's a challenge here around recruiting. I, I work with a lot of purpose-driven uh, uh, organizations that are actually growing um, quite well in these challenging times. But recruiting the kind of people that not just meet the skill set, but actually have the aptitude to work in this kind of organization, a developmental organization that's learning and encouraging people to bring more of themselves to work, to become more whole. Is there anything that you'd, you'd share about that in some of the initiatives or the way in which you recruit or bring people on board and, and reboard people around that area? In our recruitment, we absolutely look for people to have a genuine affinity and, you know, hopefully the things the bank connects to in society is reflected in their own lives because they might be, you know, volunteering in their community or, you know, on the board of local um, charities and organisations and so on. But, but I mean, equally, 
it, it's important we're open-minded. What we're looking forward is people to come and be curious. So, you, you know, you don't have to sort of have the, the, the sort of I'm a sustainability eco-warrior or something tattooed on your, your arm. We, um, we are sort of um, after people that demonstrate genuine curiosity and want to learn and grow with the bank. And so once they're inside, I mean, there are lots of opportunities to learn about sustainable finance and, and the role of the bank, lots of opportunities to learn about the businesses and the sectors that we lend to. And as I say, equally important, there are opportunities to explore and understand yourself and your own personal journey and what change you would like to affect and, uh, and so on. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, which is we don't want to recruit certain types and create echo chambers. We actually need diversity, just like we do in living systems. Absolutely. We need healthy diversity and that's where curiosity comes in so if we sort of pair curiosity with authenticity as well this this desire to you know be true to oneself but also um to be on a journey of of being open to becoming um, more of one who truly is if we now look at the leadership team a little bit you know um obviously again that you've had changes over the last few years is there anything that you've um seen work well in helping leaders connect more and to develop that curious and authentic um, capacity during essentially stressful and challenging times? Yeah, I mean, the, the management team has changed a lot in in the six years I've been um, uh, running the bank and so on, but it, in a strange way, it's always felt very uh, stable at the same time and had a lot of continuity. So, uh, I mean, obviously, we regularly have away days and touch points. I think it's very important teams sort of suffer and play together and, and, and so on. But we've also used the uh, the insights um, model to kind of just understand our personality preferences and, and also to build trust around intent and trusting intentions and so on with, you know, you do want diversity. We have quite a diverse team and different people see things or react to things in very different ways. And it's embracing that and seeing that as a strength and actually being aware of your own natural preferences. So on certain topics, you might go and seek out the alternative view uh, and things like that. But, um, but I mean, you know, e equally, I always uh, think it's very important. I work on myself uh, as well. And something I'm always, you know, very conscious of is if you're a leader of a team or as a business, you know, you need to be consistent and, and calm. You're, you're no use if you're the guy who's really uh, frantic and, uh, and so on when people are under pressure. So uh, it's very important you invest a lot in yourself. So, you know, nature is very important to me personally, uh, you know, uh, and time in nature really grounds me and, uh, and makes me very calm, as does yoga and meditation and, and things like that. So, um, and that's something we also try and foster, encourage more widely the business so most of our management meetings will start with a five minute mindfulness meditation to just make sure we're all in the room and bringing our best selves yeah that's lovely i never forget once and this is actually the first time i came across triados it was a long time ago about 15 years ago your predecessor uh, was speaking at the same conference to me it was a quaker in business conference and they had 20 minutes silence at the beginning and it was so interesting, you know, watching people in the room, the ones that weren't obviously Quakers or used to that length of silence, you could see. But it, it, it settles everyone. So five minutes is actually quite a long time for a lot of people. I've, I, I know some organisations who just do two minutes. So five minutes is good because in that time you just settle, don't you? You allow some of that noise from the head just to, to, to dissipate slightly. And therefore your curiosity and your authenticity, to use your two words, are just more readily there. You know, you're more present, you're more able to listen to the other and also listen to your own self. Yeah, no, I entirely agree. I think um, 
those moments for me are often just really listening to my own body and mind and where I am and identifying with that before I'm able to then participate fully and give to the, the process or to others. Yeah. So I'd like to um, now ask you as a difficult question in some ways, but uh, uh, sort of tips. <laughs> um, are there any sort of little insights that you think um, uh, you might have for other leaders um, of organizations going through this change? You know, one or two things that, you know, help with the outer organization, um, the leadership team, but also yourself as a leader. Are there any one or two small tips, um, for instance, in the book, um, Leading by Nature, I talk about you know, stillness, connection, um, the capacity to let go and be, be present, um, and also the ability to sense into the system, sensitivity. Uh, do you have any one or two little tips you might share? Well, I, I touched on, I think, how I have to take responsibility for my own being and, and be conscious of what that, how that impacts others and, and what I need to, to give through that uh, and so on. I mean, um, crikey, where, where to start, really? I mean, I think if you're really trying to grow genuinely purpose-led organisations, you can't always teach people the purpose. Uh, and equally, you can't be so um, naive to think that purpose works effectively in a hierarchical way. Uh, and so I think it's very important to step back as a leader, to give space to others, to grow, to really listen to the business. So I still um, meet everybody that starts at Triodos in their first um, couple of months and have half an hour induction, even though we employ 250 people, because I like to know a bit about them. But it also tells me a lot about the world, how they see it, about how they've arrived at Triodos and how they experience us. Um, so uh, so I, I, I really think, um, you know, uh, that level of listening and also uh, empowering others is important. Oh, excellent. So, yeah, listening, listening to self, listening to others, listening to the system, the organisation. Uh, love it. So I'd just like to finish really on a bit of a call to action. And then I'm going to ask you if you have um, anything to speak into this call to action. You know, it's a profound time. Humanity is facing its largest macro change project ever, uh, halving emissions by 2030, reversing inequality whilst increasing prosperity for all advancing health, uh, well-being and reversing nature loss, all while systemic challenges, shocks and volatility significantly increase. No organisation is spared. As a leader, right in the heart of this shift, um, is there anything that you'd like to add to this call to action? Um, a lot of things. How long have you got? Uh, I, 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 I think... Um... You know, we can try and solve these things at a headspace uh, quite a lot of the time. But actually, I, I think a lot of the external crises that we face are only solved through our own inward development. Uh, and ultimately, you know, you touched on it, that we want a society that um, really espouses the kind of theory of donor economics, where everybody's got minimum levels of subsistence and, uh, you know, and, and can survive and is cared for and so on. But within living within planetary boundaries so we have to let go of fear ego greed a, a lot more and we only do that by really connecting with each other differently and having a much greater sense of community and sharing and that that only happens again if we're really prepared to um sort of uh, be vulnerable and open ourselves up to that letting go of fear 
and um, opening up the ego by connection, inner and outer nature connection. It has been a real honour, Bevis, um, to, to share with you today. Thank you. You've gone through an immense amount in a relatively short uh, period of time. So thank you very much, Bevis, for your time today. No, pleasure, Giles. Always good to see you and, uh, and uh, meet a kindred spirit. So uh, look forward to seeing you in the woods sometime. For more on Leading by Nature, you can follow me, Giles Hutchins, on LinkedIn and visit gileshutchins.com for free downloads of tools and practices for regenerative leadership and future fit business. Also, watch out for my latest book, Leading by Nature, The Process of Becoming a Regenerative Leader.